Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. I'm so happy to be here. I'm going to have my co-host Corey Bank on in just a moment as we're going to recap some of the key games that happened over the weekend. Just a reminder that you are listening to us from 5 to 6 p.m. on WQEE 99.1 FM The Key out of Noonan, Georgia. We are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, Backwoods Barbecue, and Planet Fitness is going to be a great show based on Georgia sports teams because they had an incredible weekend. Georgia won, Falcons won, Braves get a three-game sweep over the Mets, even Georgia Tech won. I mean, it was incredible, and I'm going to talk about all of it. But I also want to remind you that it is October and I start getting excited when the calendar rolls to October because we will experience all four major professional leagues all at the same time. We got NBA preseason, we got the NHL going on, and it is the final week of the baseball season as the playoffs will start October the 7th. I'm going to start with baseball because the Braves had a very important three-game series against the New York Mets at Truett's Park. And as talking to some people and seeing Facebook posts and Twitter posts, some of the people that were at the games this past weekend, it felt like a playoff atmosphere. In fact, the Braves had sellouts on every single game. I went to check the attendance. They had over 42,000 fans all three games, and they get the sweep over the New York Mets, which is important because not only do they get the tiebreaker against the Mets, they are now two games ahead of the Mets with three games left to go. Unless there's an epic collapse where the Braves get swept by the Marlins and the Mets sweep the Nationals, this division is going to be the Braves. The Atlanta Braves, it was not easy Friday night. Kenley Jansen comes in. He had the bases loaded, but the Braves get the victory. Saturday, they get the victory again. They're going into the game on Sunday night facing the Mets with a game above the Mets for the NL East. What was impressive was the Braves beat Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. So the Braves had Charlie Morton. He didn't have his best stuff. In fact, the Mets took the 3-1 lead. But Dansby Swanson and Matt Olson hit home runs. And I've never seen two players that dominated the Mets in a three-game series like they did. Kenley Jansen comes in, slams the door on the Mets. And Kenley Jansen gets three saves. I mean, even though it was shaky on Friday, the Braves did what they had to do because they are an experienced playoff team that knows what it takes to win. They knew how important it was to win the division and get the number two seed. And the Atlanta Braves get their 100th win. That's the first time since 2003 that they've won 100 games in a regular season. And I'll have Justin Dale on the show on Wednesday as we will break down the Atlanta Braves looking at their season and what it's going to take to get back to the World Series. Oh, but it was a great weekend for Georgia sports. And if you're a Georgia fan, you should be happy that they were able to get the win. Look, a win is a win. But yes, the Missouri Tigers dominated that game for three quarters. I actually was listening to the game on the radio because my family... And I went up to the town of Gay for the Cotton Picking Festival, as they always do that first weekend in October. Coming back home, listening to the game on the radio, I was just in complete shock that Missouri physically dominated the game for three quarters. In fact, they took a 13-0 lead when their kicker 
kicked that 55-yard field goal to make it 22-12. to I seriously thought that Georgia was going to lose this game, and it could have been one of the biggest upsets in the college football season because Georgia was a 30-point favorite, but they did get the victory against the Missouri Tigers in a hostile environment in Columbia, but Georgia falls in the rankings to number two. That's because the Alabama Crimson Tire was able to beat the Arkansas Razorbacks 49-26. to Now, we don't know the situation with Bryce Young. It looks like it's a shoulder strain. He should be fine for the Texas A&M game, but he's not going to be 100% healthy. But Alabama and their quarterback, Jalen Moreau, actually came in, weathered the storm. I saw a play where it was a third and long, and he actually got out of a jam, and Bama actually willed their way to the victory in a hostile environment in Fayetteville, Arkansas, to get the victory on the road. And now they got the big showdown against Texas A&M. Texas A&M didn't do so well as we actually got to start thinking about Mississippi State as a possible legit contender in the SEC West because they looked impressive against the Texas A&M Aggies, and they got a ground game now. Will Rogers did a great job for the Mississippi State Bulldogs, and they are now ranked. I wish I could say the same thing about Auburn. Auburn was actually up 17 to nothing on LSU, and they lose 21 to 17 to LSU. And I think that Brian Harson is going to be fired sometime this week. How about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and Brent Key getting his first victory as the interim coach? They come from behind to beat the Pitt Panthers 26 to 17 on the road. Very impressive win. Looking at some of the other local teams in Georgia, Georgia State gets a win over Army. They pick up their first victory of the season, 31 to 14. Georgia Southern loses to Coastal Carolina on a last-second play, 34-30. They lose in heartbreak fashion. But how about the Mercer Bears? The Mercer Bears, a top-ranked team in the FCS. They are one of the best teams in the FCS, and they get an impressive road victory. And we got to start thinking about the Mercer Bears as a legitimate contender in the FCS playoffs. They go on the road, and they take on a Wofford team that we know about Wofford. We know they're in the FCS, and sometimes they make the playoffs 42-7, to a dominating win by the Mercer Bears. Kennesaw State, there were times where I thought Kennesaw State was going to get the road victory over the talented Jacksonville State team as they were up 21-10, to but Jacksonville State comes back, and they win the game in overtime 35-28, to and Kennesaw State falls to 1-3. Jacksonville State is 5-1. Looking over at LaGrange College, they took on North Carolina Wesleyan on Friday night due to Hurricane Ian. They lose to North Carolina Wesleyan 37-22. They are 1-3 on the season and 0-2 in conference play. Now moving on to the National Football League because the Atlanta Falcons, they're 2-2. Two and they're winning it with defense and a running game. I never thought I would see that. They beat the Browns 23-20. to I'm just going to go through some of these games. I'm going to talk a little bit about that Thursday night game because I have my high school football show on Fridays. I could not recap the Dolphins-Bengals game. The Bengals get the win. They are now 2-2. Two two. But the story was the Tua situation. Look, I know that you want to try to win, but you got to worry about the safety of your players. I believe he was put back into the game too soon, and we still don't know if he is going to be available for next week against the Jets. They're going to get a little bit more time to prepare, but Teddy Bridgewater is going to get the start. The Dolphins lose their first game of the season. The Minnesota Vikings beat the New Orleans Saints in London. The Saints had a chance to tie the ball game, but a 61-yard field goal attempt by Will Lutz and the double doink, and that's how it ends. The Saints are 1-3. and three. The Carolina Panthers are also 1-3, and three, losing to the Cardinals 26-16. to 16. And the Falcons and Buccaneers are both 2-2. Two and two. As they get ready for a showdown, and the winner will be in first place in the NFC South. The Buccaneers lose to the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night, 41-31. You got the Raiders getting their first victory, beating the Broncos 32-23. The Green Bay Packers get a win over the Patriots in overtime, but it wasn't easy. 
as even though the Green Bay Packers are three and one, Aaron Rodgers still says there's a lot of things that they got to work on. But the New England Patriots, who would have thought that a Bill Belichick coach team is one and three on the season? Now, Bradley Zappi did come in in relief for Brian Hoyer, but the New England Patriots, they got to rely on getting Mac Jones back. I mean, he is the glue that really keeps the Patriots together. And they're one and three. But if you look at their record, Bill Belichick is going to have them play well. They play the Lions next week. After that, they always dominate the Browns. And then they play the Bears on Monday night. That could be three wins right there. And uh, Bill Belichick and this Patriots team could weather the storm. Is it panic time in New England now that they're one and three? Who knows? The Chargers, even their record to two and two, beating the Texans. You have the Buffalo Bills coming back from a 20 to three deficit over Baltimore to get the win. The Jets get a win over the Pittsburgh Steelers, 24 to 20. The Philadelphia Eagles are still undefeated in the National Football League, beating the Jacksonville Jaguars, 29 to 21. The Giants are three and one. They beat the Chicago Bears, 20 to 12. The Tennessee Titans, they get an impressive road victory over the Indianapolis Colts, 24 to 17, and they are now two and two. Seattle in a slugfest with the Detroit Lions evens their record at two and two beating the Lions 48-45, and Cooper Rush, 4-0 as a starter. Hoping to have Gabe Reynolds on the show this week so we could talk about the Dallas Cowboys. They are 3-1, and and they play the Rams next week. Don't look now, but Dak Prescott could be ready for that game. That is a primetime game. That is the Fox NFL game of the week. That's going to be a massive showdown between the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Rams. And let me tell you, Lee, you got a Monday night game tonight. Of course, all eyes are going to be on it as I'm a huge 49ers fan. They're taking on the Los Angeles Rams. I think that the 49ers are going to play a lot better than they did against the Denver Broncos. Hostile environment, taking on an elite defense, and they seem to own the Rams in the regular season. So I think the 49ers are going to get the victory against the Los Angeles Rams before they make that trip to the East Coast to take on the Carolina Panthers next week. And then they're probably going to stay in the area because they'll face the Falcons the following week. As uh, Kyle Shanahan always likes to do that, is to keep his team fresh by just staying on the East Coast. Big Monday night game tonight, 49ers and Rams, a rematch of the NFC Championship game. And before I get Corey Bank on the show, as we recap some of the games that happened over the weekend... It's time to reveal my top 10 for East Alabama and West Georgia for high school football. We called a very important high school football game over the weekend as Russell County loses to Lanier, but uh, that is not the story. Russell County is just continuing to improve as a team, and and you know I know they're having some growing pains, but uh, let's go. This is the top 10 for East Alabama and West Georgia, starting with East Alabama. So here we go. Number one. The Auburn Tigers, 7-0, big win over their rival, Opelika, and Auburn will have a bye, and we get ready for the showdown in two weeks as they will take on the Central Red Devils. I'm already calling it. That is going to be the high school game of the week. I know I have these polls out, and I like to throw three other teams in there, but it's going to be a foregone conclusion that that is high school game of the week. Number two, the Lee Scott Academy Warriors. Why do I keep on putting the Lee Scott Academy Warriors high on this ranking? Because they are dominating at the AISA level, and that's important. Number three, the Central Red Devils. They are 5-2, and two, an impressive road victory over the Dothan Wolves. They take on Robert E. Lee Thursday night at Garrett Harrison Stadium, and then they get ready for the Auburn Tigers in two weeks. Number four, Lochapoca. The Poca way is continuing to work. Head coach Rico Newton said it's state title or bust. They are 6-0 on the season. Number five, the Beauregard Hornets. They are also 6-0. You know, the 6-0 teams that are in the Auburn-Opelika area, it's pretty impressive, and a lot of people have taken note. They have noticed that these teams could compete for a state title. Number six, I dropped the Opelika Bulldogs. You know, they lost to Auburn. They've lost three straight but they're still a good team. Roman Gagliano is a very good quarterback, but they're 4-3. I mean, they had to drop in my rankings uh, eventually. Number seven, the Eufaula Tigers, 
five and one. You know, a lot of these teams, they did play on Thursday night. I did recap their game on Friday night, so I'm just continuing with my rankings. Number nine, the Real Town Rebels, four and one after an impressive victory over the Lynette Panthers. And then number 10, Chambers Academy, four and two. Glenwood is three and three. I think that Glenwood would be a solid number 11 as Corey and I will be at the Swamp this Friday night as Glenwood will take on Monroe Academy. And Glenwood is 3-1 on the season. But what Chambers Academy has done, after starting 0-2, they have won four straight. And so that's why I got Chambers Academy number 10 in my rankings. Moving on to West Georgia, number one, there's no surprise that the Troop County Tigers have been dominating on all levels after beating North Clayton Thursday night 63 to nothing. They just continue to impose their will, and Troop County is looking impressive. They look like a state title contender. Number two, the Carver Tigers, a dominating win over the Columbus Blue Devils. They are 4-1. Number three, the St. Ampicelli Vikings. They were on a bye this week, but they will take on the Brookstone Cougars in the battle for the Brucelli Jug. Friday night, and it will be the high school game of the week, as uh, there's still a couple of hours left to vote, but I will reveal my Sports Beats high school game of the week tomorrow, and it's looking like that is going to be the high school game of the week. Number four, the LaGrange Grangers, they bounce back, they get a win over Riverdale, they are 4-2 and two on the season, they pick up their first win in region play. Number five, the Callaway Cavaliers, I moved them up in my rankings to number five because after starting 0-3, they have won three straight. They beat a top 10 team in Columbia. They are 2-0 in region play. And if you look at their schedule, I think the Eagles Landing Christian Academy is coming and that could be a tough matchup. But Callaway is going to continue to move up in my rankings because they are a team that can compete for a state title. Number six, the Northside Patriots. They were on a bye this week. They're five and one. They got a talented running back in Malachi Hosley, and they will travel up to Hamilton, Georgia to take on their crosstown rival, the Harris County Tigers. Number seven, Schley County. Moving Schley County up as they just continue to win. They are four and two. I moved Manchester up to number eight because they are also four and two. Calvary Christian, they're five and two. New to the rankings is the Spencer Green Wave. They are four and two on the season. And I moved them in my rankings and I took Brookstone out. I mean, Brookstone has a three and two record. I mean, they're still a very talented team and they would end up being number 11. Hey, if they beat St. Ampicelli next week, they're back in my rankings. I'll tell you that right now. Now that is my top 10 for East Alabama and West Georgia. I know I've been flying by through this show. But I'm about to have Corey Bank on as uh, we will recap some of the games that happened over the weekend. So you don't want to miss it. We'll be back with Corey. Stick around. Welcome back to the show. And I've got my co-host, Corey Bank, here to recap all the events that happened over the weekend. Corey, I know you had a great weekend because your Jets won. Congratulations. Uh, But how you doing? Doing great. It was definitely an electrifying weekend of football, Richard. All right, we're going to start with college because uh, we got some clarity from some of the local teams. And we're going to start with Georgia because, you know, this is a podcast local to Georgia. You know, Corey, sometimes when you're the number one team in the country, you got a big target on your back. And Georgia did not play great for three quarters. In fact, Missouri physically dominated Georgia, and it was very nervous, especially when that Missouri kicker was booting 50-yard field goals. Missouri takes the 22-12 to lead. I'm thinking, oh, boy, upset alert. I think Georgia might lose this one, but Georgia does pull it out because, well, they're just better. They found a way to win the game. A win is a win, Corey, but that caused Georgia to drop in the AP poll. Is Georgia in trouble? Is this a, a hiccup? that they were able to get a big win against an SEC opponent in a hostile environment at night? Or is is Georgia still the number one team in the country? Well, in the AP polls, Richard, the Georgia Bulldogs were coming to, into this game ranked number two in the country. But 
they were led by quarterback Stetson Bennett, who went 24-44 for 312. He distributed the wealth through his receivers from a Swiss Army knife-like guy. Running back slash wide receiver Kenny McIntosh, number six, and the leading rusher out of the backfield. He averaged six and a half yards per carry on 10 carries, Richard. But it looked like they had a three-headed monster in the backfield in the game. They had Kendall rushing the football, his 61 yards on eight carries. They had Dejuan Edwards, who had 51 yards on his carries. But here's the thing. Stetson Ben also distributed the wealth on his receiving core as well. Tight end Brock, five catches for 66 yards. Darnell, Washington tight end, had three receptions for 64 yards. And Marcus Rosemey had three catches for 46 yards in the game. But here's the thing. When it really mattered in this football game, they had a leading defensive player, Richard, who was standout, and that was Jamon Dumas Johnson, linebacker, who had seven tackles in the game, and my guy for X-Factor in the game at Georgia was Jamon Dumas Johnson. And that was big that he stepped up because Jalen Carter went out of the game. And at one point, I seriously thought that not only Missouri was controlling the line of scrimmage for three quarters, but uh, their quarterback, Cook, was trying to get it done. They threw the kitchen sink at Georgia. And I was very impressed with the Missouri team that bounced back after a heartbreaking loss to Auburn last week. And uh, they almost pulled it out. And, you know, Georgia survives. And that's what the key is here in college football. Moving on to the next game, Alabama taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks. A hostile environment in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Alabama's Bryce Young leaves the game with an injury, but in comes the four-star talented recruit, Jalen Milrow, and he was just electric. Jameer Gibbs with two big 70-yard runs. And even though when Bryce Young was injured, Arkansas makes that comeback. They were down 28-7. to They cut the lead to 28-23. to and then uh, Bama just pushed their will into a, a struggling Arkansas team and got an impressive victory on the road. Alabama, you know, they got to get ready to take on Texas A&M next week. Uh, this is one of those games, when we were making our predictions on uh, Wednesday, like we always do for college football, I said that this was going to be a lot closer than expected. I thought that Arkansas was going to give them a game. But Bama just showed that they are the better team. And they get the impressive road victory, 49-26 to over Arkansas. Corey, what was your keys to this victory by the Tide? Okay. So that Arkansas Razorback team, they were led in this game by quarterback K.J. Jefferson, who went 13-24 for 155 yards and a touchdown. Their leading rusher in this game. And this is what really kept the Razorbacks in this game was Raheem Sanders, the Rocket, who had 101 yards on 22 carries and a touchdown. That's very consistent as a running back. Now, the leading receiver for the Razorbacks in this game was Catrone uh, Jackson Jr., who had four catches for 48 yards and touchdown in this game. But their leading tackler, who was roaming sideline to sideline for this Arkansas team, was outside linebacker. Drew Sanders with six tackles, but for the victorious Alabama Crimson Tide, yes. But prior to Bryce Young coming out of the game, he did go 7 of 13 for 173 yards through a touchdown pass and through a pick. But after he left the game, Jalen Milrow really stepped in, Richard, and that's exactly what happened. But the story in this ball game. And this is who I give the X Factor Award to player of the game was Jamar Gibbs, who had an absolutely game-breaking performance. He rushed for 206 yards on 18 carries, 11.4 yards per clip, and two rushing touchdowns. An unreal, compelling performance for that man right there. But the leading receiver was Kobe Prentice who had three catches for 92 yards and a touchdown. 
but the leading player on the defensive side of the ball, who can we forget, but Kool-Aid McKinstry, cornerback who had six tackles on the game for your victorious Alabama Crimson Tide. And he stepped up when it mattered the most, and Alabama's got a big showdown with Texas A&M next week, the primetime game on CBS. Cannot wait for that. Let's go over to the Plains because this was a game where I thought that Auburn played a very flawless first quarter against LSU, jumping out to the 17-0 lead, but they could not make adjustments. And LSU was able to come back and win the game 21-17. I thought that Robbie Ashford played very well, but LSU, and this was just a crazy game, Corey. Like, you had four turnovers toward the end of the game. It was going back and forth. It seemed like nobody wanted to win it, but the LSU Tigers come out victorious. And Auburn is now 3-2, and which is really putting the fan base in a panic mode and thinking it's time to pull the plug on head coach Brian Harson. But, Corey, LSU wins the game 21-17. to But how impressed were you with Auburn coming out the gate with that 17-0 lead, but they just couldn't they couldn't make adjustments and they couldn't close out the game. But still, it was a great game, a back-and-forth game between uh, two SEC opponents. So the Auburn Tigers were led by an impressive performance by quarterback Robbie Ashford, who went 19-38 for 338 yards, a touchdown, two touchdowns to one interception ratio. The leading rusher was Tank Bigsby, who had 12 carries for 45 yards. The leading pass catcher was Javarius Johnson, who had three catches for 74 yards on the touchdown. And the leading tackler for the War Eagles was linebacker Wesley Steiner. But on the victorious LSU Tiger end, they were led by quarterback Jaden Daniels. He was very inconsistent in the game, Richard. That 8 of 20 passing 40% of his throws, that's that's not really a great statistic. But he did help himself here where he did rush for 59 yards on the ground. And he had a rushing score himself. But the leading runner for this LSU Tiger team was Josh Williams, who had 17 carries for 68 yards in the game. And the leading pass catcher was John Emery Jr., who had 39 yards in the football game. Richard, indeed. So, through this, uh, it was the reason why LSU did grind it out and win the football game. It wasn't easy. Auburn gave them a fight to the bitter end. But you're right, Richard. Uh, Harson is definitely on the hot seat. It's a matter of what's going to happen in the incoming weeks. Will he keep his job? Now, that's going to be a force to be reckoned with of what we remain to see there. Speaking of interim coaches, I got to throw this one in here because I was impressed with interim coach Brent Key for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, who I thought have been left for dead for the past three years. I mean, they're losing streak to ACC opponents, but they get a huge road victory against the Pitt Panthers, a ranked Pitt Panthers team and Georgia Tech was able to come back and get the 26 to 21 victory and Brent Key's first victory as the interim head coach. Corey, my, my first question to you is before we get into the game, does Brent Key have a shot at at least getting an interview for the head coaching position at Georgia Tech? He certainly does. Oh, anytime you get a, a win like this as an interim head coach, this is huge for the program. I think that Brent Key should get the job at Georgia Tech unless they go in and get a high-profile coach like a Dan Bolin or a Bob Stoops or a Deion Sanders, which I, I don't see that happening. I think that Brent Key would be make a good fit for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. A pretty wildly and entertaining game. Uh, Georgia Tech actually took the 26-14 to 14 lead. I think that Jeff Sims has uh, come on as late. He's a game manager. He didn't have a whole lot of passing yards. But Georgia Tech did what they had to do to get the victory, and they really stepped up on defense. I think that this win, I think it's going to bring Georgia Tech, you know, their next two games. 
They have Duke and Virginia at home, both winnable games. If Georgia Tech can go to four and three and three and zero oh under Brent Key, I think that he is going to be a great candidate to replace Jeff Collins at Tech. I mean, that certainly is the case. But this Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket team, like you said, Richard, they were led by quarterback Jeff Sims. He went eleven of twenty six with one hundred and two yards. But that really wasn't the story in the game. The story in the game is that he, like you said, was a game manager. He kept the game under, and he also rushed one. But the Yellow Jacket ground game, and this is the X factor in the game. We all have something that there's a game breaker. Well, they rushed for 238 yards on the ground with Hassan Hall and quarterback Jeff Sims, who's really helping himself in the ground game. Now, in the receiving room, they were led by E.J. Jenkins, who had two receptions for 54 yards and a touchdown. Now, the leader on the defensive side of the ball was Ayande Eli, who had eight tackles. And then you had Charlie Thomas, who had six tackles in the game and an interception. But the thing is, is that the Pittsburgh team, Caden Slovis, he went 26-45 for 305 yards as the Pittsburgh quarterback had a decent day. Wasn't enough with Vincent Davis's rushing a 15 totes for 80 yards. The Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, they won this game because they controlled the ball on the ground. Their offensive line was pushing necessary holes open for Hassan Hall, and they won the game in the trenches, Richard. All right, Corey, one last one. I want to just ask you, uh, how impressed are you with the Kansas Jayhawks? 5-0, and ranked 17th. In fact, college game day is going to Lawrenceville, Kansas. If you're a Kansas fan right now, your basketball team just won the NCAA title. The football team is 5-0, and and Lance Leopold is the hottest coaching candidate just about for every job, including Arizona State, Nebraska, Wisconsin. I think that he is going to leave Kansas and probably take one of these jobs. But, Corey, how impressed are you with the Jayhawks this year? It's very unheard of a, a Jayhawk team. Like you said, Richard, they're traditionally uh, a team that does very well in the NCAA basketball realm of things. Since they did, like you said, win a championship there. But here's the thing. The reason why this team has been putting together, they have quite an amazing ground attack, and they're very physical on defense. They have linebackers that really fill the gaps. They have defensive backs that really are locked down, and they have a team that really plays together. And that is why this Jayhawk team is 5-0. and Excellent coaching, excellent stamina, Throughout the entire team, it's very clear that they're conditioned. All right, Corey, let's move on to the NFL where the Atlanta Falcons, it wasn't easy. In fact, there were times where the Cleveland Browns looked really good, and I thought they were going to pull this one out. But the Atlanta Falcons, once again, get the victory thanks to their defense. Grady Jarrett with a big sack and offered with the pick to seal the deal. The Atlanta Falcons beat the Cleveland Browns 23-20. to And get this, Corey, they are tied with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for first place. And they got to play the Buccaneers next week with first place on the line. Who would have thought? A lot of people that were making their NFL preseason picks were only going to pick the Falcons to win three or four games this year. Corey, how shocked are you? that the Atlanta Falcons are winning with their defense despite Marcus Mariota not really having a great game. And the Falcons are running the football, and they are playing a bend-don't-break defense and making big plays when it matters. So this Falcons team, like you said, Mariota's had his inconsistency at the quarter position. It was evident in this football game. He went 7-19 to for 139 yards and an interception. But the story in this game, they are physical, and they will ground and pound you. So their rushing attack was led by Tyler Alagieri, who averaged 8.4 yards a carry. That is a substantial number in the NFL, 10 carries on 84 yards. But in the passing game, Mariota favorited Olamide Zagagius. 
for two catches of 55 yards. But here's the thing. I'm telling you, Richard, their defense is one of the best in the game. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, they have two X-Factors, two guys. It seems like we call these names on a weekly basis. But the first name I'm going to call here is linebacker Mikel Walker imposing as well in between the tackle box and in coverage. He finished the game with eight tackles and the other linebacker, keeping the middle of that nucleus together and stout is Rashawn Evans, who as well had five tackles in the game. Those are the two guys that really kept this game together on the defensive side of the ball and always seemed to keep this team together. They have two captains, in my mind, who are playing in this Interceptor middle of the field. But the Cleveland Browns in this game, they still had a great game from their ground attack and, and Nick Chubb in this in this one. And he had 19 carries for 118 yards. David Njoku had five catches with 73 yards. And Jacoby Brissett went 21 35 for 234 and an interception. But the thing is, is that they had Jacob Wel- Phillips who kept them in the game. But man, those Falcons right now, if they can keep themselves in games, they play gritty, tough, to the wall football into the front, and they allow their linebackers, who are very athletic, to roam side on the sideline and be able to make necessary plays. And they have a running game like they have the last couple weeks. Anything is possible for those Atlanta Falcons, Richard. All right, Corey, moving on to the Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens were up 20-3 to at home against Buffalo, but Buffalo pulls it out, and they get 20 unanswered points to win on a last-second field goal, 23-20 to to push their record to 3-0. and I did not have a very good day with Lamar Jackson as my fantasy quarterback. He normally gives me 40 points uh, just about every time, but I, I should have known better that he's playing a very talented Buffalo Bills defensive team. And, and Lamar Jackson struggled. And Baltimore is now 2-2, two and two, tied with just about everybody else in the NFC North at 2-2. Two and two. Corey, how impressed were you for the Buffalo Bills to come back on the road, down 20-3, to three, and pull out the victory over the Baltimore Ravens? Very impressive what they pulled off. They were led by quarterback, dynamic player, Josh Allen who went 19-36 for 213 yards, one touchdown, then one interception ratio. But the thing is, is there, he also was rushing the ball pretty darn well because he was the team's leading rusher in the football game. That's what makes him dynamic, the fact that he can do both and that he's a dual-threat quarterback. He rushed for 70 yards in the game, yards of rush. But the thing is, is that he kept it balanced. And he spread the wealth between three different pass catchers. Running back Devlin Singletary, who finished the game with four catches, 47 yards. Tight end Dawson Knox, three receptions for 40 yards. And, of course, the number one wideout, Stephon Diggs, who finished the contest with seven catches for 62 yards. But my X factor in the game, no, 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 no. It wasn't an offensive player in my mind in this week. It was a leading defensive player of the game. Linebacker, Matt Milano. And out of all the players that we're going to call out this week, this guy, I will give the Defensive Player of the Week award in the NFL. He had 11 tackles as a middle backer for this team. That is an incredible stat. The fact that you're able to bottle up Lamar Jackson like that, that's pretty incredible. Now, Lamar Jackson, he still did damage in the run game, Richard. He did carry the ball 11 times for 73 yards, 6.6 yards per carry, and he did still distribute the ball to Devin DeVernay, who had four catches for 51 yards. And Lamar Jackson still had a ratio in the football game where he did throw a touchdown pass, but... I can see why in your fantasy stats that you didn't like that he threw two interceptions. But the bottom line is is that the Ravens still had a player that kept himself in the game, and that's their outside linebacker on the defensive side of the ball, 
Adafe Uwe, who had six tackles in the game. But here's the thing. This Buffalo Bills team, resilient. It's definitely the makeup and chemistry of this foundation of this team right now. I mean, the Bills, definitely going to make a deep run in the playoffs. All right, let's talk about the last remaining undefeated team in the National Football League, the Philadelphia Eagles. 4-0, they are doing it with defense. They're doing it with the ground game. And Jalen Hurts is doing just enough to get the victories. They actually overcame a 14-point deficit to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, Corey, I picked the Jaguars. When we were making our NFL picks on Thursday, I picked the Jaguars in the upset. I mean, it looked pretty good in that first quarter. I was looking at the score, and I'm thinking, after that pick six by Andre Sisco, and then Jacksonville went down and scored, and it was 14 to nothing. But the Eagles were resilient, and they made the comeback, and they had 29 unanswered points led by Miles Sanders, and the Philadelphia Eagles are 4-0, and they're looking like the best team in the NFC right now. What do you think, Corey? Well, those Eagles truly got it done in this football game, but the Jacksonville Jaguars really definitely gave them a fight and run for their money. They were led by quarterback Trevor Lawrence. He finished the football game 11-23. A uh, little bit inconsistent. He completed a little bit less than half his throws. But he did have a good ratio. He did throw for 174 yards, threw two touchdowns and one interception. Travis Etienne was a leading rusher in the game. I mean, he didn't really do that much, not not the performance. He averaged four yards a carry, eight carries, 32 yards. The leading receiver on the Jaguars was Christian Kirk. He led the receiving room with 30 yards per catch, which is an incredible average, but on just two catches for 60 yards. Now the Jacksonville Jaguar leading defensive player of the game, my goodness, linebacker. Foyer Alokwine. He was all over the field. He had 12 tackles in the game. That is the reason why the Jaguars were staying in this one. He was everywhere. But quarterback Jalen Hurts, when it mattered the most, he was electrifying. 16-25, 240 yards. And the leading rusher, ground and pound game, was really dialed up all day for the Eagles. Miles Sanders, Richard, carried the football 27 times for 134 yards, five yards per carry average. That is incredible. Now, the leading receiver in this game was A.J. Brown, five catches, 95 yards, average 19 yards a catch. And now, the leading defensive player, I can't even get say it's one player, it's two players, the Eagles. T.J. Edwards, linebacker, four tackles and a sack. And the game-leading sack leader, linebacker as well, with two sacks, Hassan Riddick, linebacker. Oh, that Eagles defense is scary. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to the Sunday night football game because you had a battle between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, and Patrick Mahomes just does not look human. I mean, he is just an electric player, and a lot of people thought that he was going to fall off because he didn't have Tyreek Hill. But the Kansas City Chiefs get the win over the Buccaneers 41-31 to 31 as Patrick Mahomes throws for three touchdowns. Uh, there was one touchdown. Did you see that highlight where he does the spin move to break out of a tackle and then just lobs it into the end zone to Clyde Edwards-Alaire? That was unbelievable, Richard. It looked like it was like he was playing backyard football on that specific play. He was literally surveying the field, running sideline to sideline. Looked like he was toying with the defense. How can he do that at this level? Is remains to be un, an unbelievably seen. Always, I can't believe he does it, Richard. Corey, I'm going to give you several examples of some athletes. Willie Mays on the Mets. I know you're a Mets fan. Muhammad Ali when he was fighting Larry Holmes and uh, Michael Jordan on the Wizards. Are we going to see Tom Brady kind of fade into his career or is he going to go out? Because at 45 years old, I think that Tom Brady could have 
a Michael Jordan Wizards type season. I I really think so. I really don't think so here. And to go back to how the Chiefs really really put this game together, so you can't discount the fact they did dial it up and get the run game going. So Clyde Edwards Hilaire, he did have 19 carries for 92 yards in the game. The most dynamic tandem in the last, I'd say, six or seven years. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Did you watch the way those guys were flowing together? Kelsey on nine catches for 92 yards in the game and a touchdown. In that first quarter alone, Richard, I believe they what completed four or five passes in the first quarter. They, that first drive in the game from, from where they jarred the ball loose on the special teams play, they just went right in. I had a feeling it was going to be a kind of day like that. But on the defensive side of the ball, quarterback Legereus Sneed had eight tackles in the game and a magician sack because the sack in the game he had against Tom Brady Brady was blindsided. Usually Tom Brady is able to account for all this. But in this regard, I saw him really outsmart the IQ of Tom Brady. That's pretty amazing by Legereus Sneed there. But Tom Brady, hold on there, Richard. He did play a good game. This is in my mind. When you are 45 years old, Richard, and you're completing about 75% of your passes, and you're throwing for 385 yards, and you are throwing for three touchdowns in the game, you are still elite, especially when your foundation your team is that you're first, a run-first team that opens up the pass. Clearly, this was the worst game rushing that he's ever had supporting cast by any football team in his 20 seasons, 20, 20 plus seasons he's been in the league. Leonard Fournette, I think they had negative yards for the game rushing. And Tom Brady, this answers the question. How does he do it? Completing a 75% of his passes on a Kansas City defense that's one of the most daunting defenses in the game. And it's pretty amazing. And they lose the football game. But he was able to throw the ball to Mike Evans, who came back after suspension on a great day. Eight catches, 103 yards, two touchdowns. And when you have, my mind, the best linebacker in football, Devin White on your team, he was an absolute stud. He had nine tackles in the game. So that answers the question. Yes, the Bucks lost. But you did not realize Tom Brady did this without a supporting cast running in the football. I would say he's elite still. I would have to agree. I mean, hopefully he does not go out like some of the other legends and uh, goes more out like a John Elway or a Kobe Bryant. I, I really wish that Tom Brady could actually retire on his terms, but You'd hate to see if Tom Brady decides to stick around for one more year or two more years that he fades into his career, but hopefully that this could be his last season and he actually has statistically still a great year as a quarterback. But right now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 2-2. Two and two. They are tied with the Atlanta Falcons for the division lead in the NFC South. So we'll get to see the Buccaneers and the Falcons next week. And so I'm looking forward to that. How impressed were you that the New York Jets got the comeback win over the Pittsburgh Steelers? Even though the Steelers did make the quarterback change to Kenny Pickett, he threw three interceptions, but Zach Wilson comes back from injury and the Jets get the victory. Very resilient the Jets team was. We saw a tale of two teams. We saw a team who got out that 10-0 lead early on and they were really pedal to metal, and their defense was dialing it up, led by linebacker C.J. Mosley. They were actually able to do a decent job running the football with Brees Hall, and Zach Wilson got out to a very interesting start there. But then we also saw a team where they really were allowing things to happen, and Kenny Pickett, his first NFL game, they threw him in there, Richard, and it was his first game coming into 
uh, his career. The Pittsburgh quarterback playing for that Pittsburgh college team. And then coming in, he lit a spark. But when the Jets' backs were against the wall, they were down 10 points. Oh, this is too familiar. We saw this against the Browns when Zach Wilson really had to really put his team together on this one. Zach Wilson was down 20 to 10. And you needed to do this on your last two possessions of the game. And he methodically brought this Jets football team down the field. And they needed to score. They did it under duress, under road. And one of the most pivotal places and iconic places to go play a road football game, Heinz Field. If there's something i got to learn about Robert Salas' team, it's that they do not quit. They do not give up. They do not throw in the towel. And you can't count this team out when their back's against the wall and the game is on the line. So for that, for the Jets really pulling it out and becoming a 2-2 two and two team, there's not many people who have predicted them to be 2-2 two and two going into the second month of the season. I agree. My two surprise teams, actually I'm going to say three surprise teams in the National Football League are the Jets, Jaguars, and Falcons. A lot of people, when they had their preseason rankings, had these three teams ranked near the bottom. And uh, the Jets are two and two, and they got a they got a tough matchup against the Dolphins next week, Corey. So uh, good luck to them, and and I really appreciate you just being on the show and just talking about sports and recapping all the sporting events that happened over the weekend. Sorry about your Mets. It happens, Richard. Oh, I know, but hey, they'll be in the playoffs and. Hopefully they can knock off the Dodgers and then we could see the Mets and the Braves in the NLCS. Wouldn't that be something? All that really would be. Oh, absolutely. It'd be uh, 1999 all over again. And that was uh, maybe a little before your time. I don't know. <laughs> no, all, you're always, always a great uh, show. It has been fun. Thank you so much. Uh, Corey. And uh, I will talk to you tomorrow as we'll recap Monday night football on the daily dash. Absolutely, Richard. All right. That was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Stay tuned for tomorrow's show, and I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.